Have you ever wondered why students say they're friends but really don't act like they're friends with each other in middle school and potentially high school? Have you also seen students struggle with how to engage and how to be friends with each other? I learned so much from Coach Lee about friendships. And if you're like me as a teacher, you see a lot of friendship challenges in schools with teenagers. Coach Lee presents a lot of different perspectives and really, really beneficial. We talk a little bit about consent. We talk about why it's important to release control in our classrooms to draw kids in, not push them away. I hope you enjoy this interview with Coach Lee. I know I did. to the podcast, Education Unimagined, where we give students an opportunity to share their voice in a system where often their voice is unheard. I ask them to share their experience and advice on how we can improve the experience for everyone. Welcome, Coach Lee. I'm so excited to have you join me today on this podcast. I am looking forward to the learning that you are going to share with me today. So if you could start by telling me about your business. Thank you so much for having me, Lorraine. I'm thrilled to be here. I'm a friendship coach. I help people make meaningful friendships and connections. I started this company because I had difficulty making friends and real connections with people in my life. So I started this company so that I can help other people. One of the things that I really wanted when it comes to making friendships and learning how to make friendships was clear action and direction. I often heard that you have to be yourself and you have to find your tribe, but there was no actionable steps for me to be able to do that. So that's why I started what I do. One of the most frustrating things was that it seemed like everybody else knew what they were doing and I was the only one who didn't. I'm absolutely doing my job here to let people know that you're not the only one who doesn't know. We're all just trying to figure it out. One of the things that came up for me is the type of friendships that middle and high school students have and how brutal and inauthentic those relationships are in high school. I wonder, are they really friendships when you're at that age? Middle school and high school Wow, that is a really awesome question. Are they really friendships at that age and how brutal friendships could be? It is enough to make my head spin <laughs> as a friendship coach. <laughs> because as an adult, I can look back at that and think, wow, that is a lot to deal with. For one thing, as an adult, I have the autonomy to move away from the people. If I decide that we're not well connected, I can always not be in the space with you because I have that autonomy. But when it comes to making friends as teenagers, as middle schoolers, you don't have this opportunity to explore as much as you would as an adult. That's one of the things that keep kids kind of stuck there with the people that are around them. There's even more pressure to conform, to make someone be what you want them to be so that you can be comfortable or turn yourself into a person that you don't like so that you can look the part and not stand out too much, even though it makes you really uncomfortable. From personal experience, I can tell you, I tried 
all the people pleasing. I tried to be different. I tried to show up in ways that I thought people would accept me, but it never worked because I wasn't happy. I always resented them because I was hiding something and I believed that they wouldn't let me show myself. It was really me, but I couldn't see past that because I couldn't see any more options because I was in middle school. I was in high school. I'm not going anywhere. I'm seeing these people every single day until the summer. And that sucked. <laughs> also, just to touch on the friendship thing, we're all looking for is acceptance and understanding. The people that I call friends will allow you to talk about things that are important to you. They'll allow you to speak about something that brings you joy, that you're happy about, maybe that you're sad about, and they're not going to make fun of you. They're not going to try and hurt you. I want to shift a little bit to have you share your experience as an individual in high school. What was it like for you and what were some challenges or highlights that you had at this time in your life? Oh boy, high school. <laughs> I knew this was coming and I took a couple deep breaths before we started this conversation, but it's still something that stays with me. And I've really never talked about it this deeply before, but I'm so happy to share this here today. I'm going to share two perspectives. I'm definitely going to share this experience where I have gone through it as me today. I'm going to tell you about how I feel about the experience as me today. And then I'm going to let you know how I was in the high school person that I was as well. So me today, I look back on those experiences where... I had very few friends. I showered every day, but I was a dirty kid. I smelled. I brushed my teeth every once in a while. I really didn't care. I really didn't have this sense of, why well, try? I can't be these people. I can't be that person. And it sucks to be me. So let's just get this over with. And I'll go to school and I'll do these things. I was a smart kid, though. I got a scholarship to go to college. But it was just something about me that as today, I look back, I know what it was. But there was something about me that wasn't able to connect with people and was the resentment. I can't be me. It was the not caring about who I am and how I feel about things. I thought nobody cared, so why should I? And so that's me looking back on the experience and that they needed to have that experience. They turned out fine. That's why I do what I do today. But when I was living in that experience, oh my God. <laughs> Hell, seriously, when I was going through that experience, I really wanted to be accepted. I was absolutely depressed. I didn't understand why people didn't like me. I had very few friends. I didn't know what to talk about. I was mean. Now that I think about it, I think I was really mean to my friends because when I was resentful, I was mean to them and they would bring up something that was interesting to them. I'd make sure to shoot that down because I'm a people pleaser. I was a people pleaser in that stage. And if I can't do the thing that makes you happy, then what good am I? What self-worth do I have? I remember a high school friend, the dogs got into a fight and one of them got really injured. And I was like, I don't care. They were a sobbing mess and I just couldn't care. I couldn't care. I was so mean. My feelings were the only thing that mattered. I wanted them to matter. And I realized that I wasn't really tapping into my own sense of who I am and what I really want for myself and allowing myself to be. I remember doing things like that, not being, just doing the best I can physically, not emotionally. And so that hurt my friendships a whole lot. I believe that person that I was in high school was absolutely surprised when people said they didn't want to hang out with me. I was absolutely stunned. I'm curious to dig into the people pleasing and meanness that sort of came out for you. Yeah, that's a great question. Why as a people pleaser, would I do something to hurt someone? What I understand about myself is that I wanted so badly to be needed 
I needed to be needed for everything. If I was not needed at all, if I did not know how to help, then I was going to be rejected. I was going to be lonely. I was going to be just lost and by myself for the rest of my life. Each single moment, it felt like I was going to be absolutely rejected. So with that said, my friend who had the situation, I did not know how to help and support them. I was immediately rejected emotionally. Didn't know this was happening. I was immediately rejecting him. And what happens when somebody's telling you that you suck and you're terrible? That Those aren't the words they said. It had nothing to do with me at all. But what happens when you feel like somebody is telling you that you're not worth it, that you're disgusting, all the things that I believed about myself that were wrong and bad, and this is manifesting now because I can't help this person because I couldn't help him. I was rejected. I'm going to fight them back. I'm going to show that I'm here, that I'm valuable, and you hurt me. And that's how it came out. Instead of being a helpful person, I had no idea what to do. Maybe if I did have better skills, I would have been like, oh, your dog, that's so terrible. That's so sad. And I would put my feelings aside again, but I had no idea what to do. This was the ultimate rejection. Whenever I face that kind of rejection, I fight it. I fight them. They're not saying these things to me, but it's all my belief that I was worthless. I want to let you know that you're worthless not me. So there you go. It's almost like I'm going to push you away before you push me away. And that's a self-preservation. You saw the writing on the wall and make sure that I'm protected. Yeah, exactly. And it manifested in, in so many ways too. Like I said, I was surprised when people didn't want to hang out with me. As an educator, how do I navigate when a student doesn't understand the impact of their actions? I always talk about the three sides to every story. There's your side, there's my side, and then there's the truth. And so I would look at the one kid who is very surprised, that's your side. And the person who was decided that they didn't want to be friends, that's the other side. And then you as the educator has the objective truth. You can see both sides because you're not emotionally attached to each situation in the same intensity that they are. They're living it. And so for this one person who's the one side who's surprised about this, I would say that they have an inability to see anybody else's side to the story, especially their friend's side of the story. I felt attacked when they rejected me. When my friend had an issue with his dog, I felt attacked. I was wronged. You should be grateful that I want to be your friend. And all the people-pleasing things I do on top of that, I was wronged. So... I'm looking at this person who is completely surprised by the rejection and they are where I was. How did I get from this place where I can't fathom, I'm doing all the wonderful things. I got to that place because I started processing my own feelings about it and not letting it bubble up. But as an educator, I would encourage the one who is surprised to journal to understand more about their actions and their feelings. So one thing I discovered is that when you're in it, when you feel like you are being attacked, you're justified. If you don't look back at that experience, you're going to keep that justification going. But if you even had a moment to look back at the experiences that you've had, why do you feel justified about that? Break it down. Let's look at it. Let's pick apart the pieces just a little bit so that we can discover what it is that makes you feel justified. And perhaps I think in that discovery, you'll find that Maybe I don't feel so justified about this. Or what did I gain from this? Learning from that experience. This is all about the emotional health of the one who is surprised. But being able to reflect and see that there are people who have feelings outside of them. 
And so the encouragement to do some self-discovery and self-reflection is what I'd recommend for the educator. As teens, they very much only have their world. And that behavior of having a moment to reflect and journal in all senses, whether it was from an actual incident or not, but just to have a moment to think beyond your own world is a really good practice for any teen at that age. Yeah, absolutely. Being intentional about looking back on that experience and looking for your emotions, specifically the feeling about the event and the why. Why do you feel that way? Those three pieces have really helped me discover more about myself and emotional regulation. You and I had had a conversation about that experience of going to college, and I would love for you to share how college became something that was possible for you. The guidance counselor had seen my grades, and they had pulled me into their office, and they had said, so what do you think about going to college? And I was like, I don't Nobody had ever gone to college before in my vicinity. I didn't know anybody who graduated from college. I didn't think that was a thing. I hadn't thought about that. So I applied for this scholarship and I got into the program and I hadn't thought about it for two full years until I was actually going to go. Man, that was life-changing to be able to go to college, move two hours away from my hometown. My hometown was full of Christian churches and it was basically not what I wanted. I was rejecting everything. I just didn't fit. There was a reason why I didn't fit. I'll pause right here and say, I'm transgendered female to male. And before I transitioned, I grew up in a Christian town and which shunned LGBT stuff. But when I was presenting as a woman, I was interested in women. And that was something that I had to keep hidden. So when I went to college, I had an opportunity to explore that. I had an opportunity to explore everything that was, quote, evil, like blue hair, piercings. I was like, wow, this is amazing. There are so many people with different experiences, different walks of life from different states, countries, cultures. I was so blown away by it because of this opportunity to move away from everything that I'd known for all the rules that were set in place for me to be a certain kind of person in the household. All those changed for me. I saw people who weren't doing that and they seemed to be okay. I see people with blue hair who were gay, LGBT, whatever. Can I do that? I get permission to do that because I see other people are able to do that. So that was really life-changing to have an opportunity to go to college. Why do you think it wasn't something that you thought was a possibility? I understand that it wasn't something that your family had experienced, but were there others in your school that were pursuing college? Such a great question. I'm going to talk about why I believe that I wasn't able to go to college. It wasn't part of what I did. And I think it was just because I looked around and I believe that smart people who had money were people who were able to go to college. I got really great grades, but I thought, well, honors kids, those are the kids that go to college. The rest of us don't. What do you even do at college? I don't even know what I want to do there and things like that. I just couldn't see two steps ahead of me, two days ahead of me. I didn't know what I was doing or why or, or anything. And so looking at the people who I believed didn't have it together, I just knew I wasn't anything I ever wanted to be. I knew I wasn't a person who was able to have friends or anything like that. So it just wasn't in my consciousness. I want to go deeper into understanding the rules that you felt were being broken and the messages and how you 
perceived those messages in college? The rules. Was I one breaking the rules? Nope. Not at all. Not at all. Not at all. I remember that this experience that I had that popped into my mind. I feel like I was brainwashed. I remember going to this class. It was freshman writing class. And we were supposed to write about LGBT stuff. The instructor, they were trying to be a bit controversial to get us to think. And I came from a deeply a Christian place, and I believed all that stuff was wrong. Wrong, wrong, wrong. This is back in like 2001. There was an article about how gay people have oil in their veins. They're terrible, disgusting people. And I remember our professor wanted us to write about that, and he wanted to strike some controversy about it too. So he wanted us to get us to think about it. And so out of a group of 20 students, he asked, who of you believes in this? Who of you feels that this is right? Stand up. Guess who was the only person who stood up? Me. <laughs> I stood up. I had no sense of self. There was another experience where I broke the rules, but I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to. So here I am. The rules are that LGBT people are bad. And I upheld that rule and was like, they're bad. I'll let everybody know they're bad people. Remember, I'm presenting as a female walking through the college campus, I'm walking along and I see a woman who has low cleavage and I did a double take. I can't believe I did that. So much shame came upon me. I broke that rule. I'm not supposed to. And then nothing happened. I was okay. If I had people around me that would have shamed me along the way, I wouldn't have had the opportunity to grow and to realize that I don't want this belief about LGBT people being wrong because that means I'm wrong and I'm bad and I'm not wrong and bad. No, I had the space to explore that. We grow up with this set of rules, and I feel like rules is the wrong word to be using there because as you just described, the rules were broken and nothing terrible happened. And so I'm wondering how we can challenge rules and identify them. Is there some advice knowing how strong these rules were given to you? And then when you were able to get away, how you were able to explore and bend and break those rules and no harm came to you? Wow, that's a really deep question. Because what I think about rules and boundaries and things like that, they often get mixed up. When I think about rules, I think about those are actions that are imposed upon you for some purpose. They can be to keep you safe, but they are actions that somebody else wants you to do. Most of the time, they're given to you. I don't think you make rules for yourself. It even feels wrong, tough and rigid, because it means that you don't get the option. What I'd like to do is to look at rules as impositions upon you and boundaries as things that you accept or things that you decide that they are what you want, that they benefit you. You clearly understand how they're going to benefit you. What I'd ask is you as a 14 to 18 year old is to consider why you're implementing them. And if the why is to avoid getting in trouble, then I want you to consider. If the why is to please somebody else, we're told that you have to do and you accept because you don't know why. It's just told you that. The boundaries are essentially the shape of you. These are things that you create for yourself. These are actions and behaviors that you do because they benefit you in some way. They can be the same as your rules, but they're accepted by you in this case. I'm thinking about that professor and what they were doing. I'm thinking about making sure that my classroom is 
a space where you could potentially explore rules and their own boundaries. This is the thing I needed when I was in high school. If we can get our kids to start thinking about their needs, negotiables, and nevers, this is what I use for boundaries. What actions and behaviors that you need in your life and for what? What actions and behaviors that you would like to be able to do and for what? Your negotiables are kind of big in there, a bunch of different things that it could be. And then your nevers, some actions and behaviors that you don't want to have, some feelings and experiences that you don't want to have, and knowing those about yourself. I'd say the needs, negotiables, and nevers, those are three things to focus on and being able to put those into words that isn't offensive, that isn't an attack on the rule, it's just a statement of how I feel about the rule. I'm listening to you as a parent and as a teacher, and I'm thinking giving my own children those three words to have that ability to respond to me. What you're saying is giving language. It doesn't necessarily have to be rules if parents are uncomfortable, but an educator's recognizing that there is a place for me to say needs negotiable and nevers. I don't think we ever really touch on the nevers or allow young teens to really have a place to express a never. That is so profound. I am so excited to hear that. <laughs> you as an adult, you're doing the work and you're discovering that what you modeled is essentially what they're going to pick up and what they do. That tracks with my own experience with my family. I didn't realize that there was room to break rules or have my own feelings until I was in a situation where I wasn't looking around for somebody to tell me that it's okay to have that feeling. And essentially, you're allowing your students to give consent. I think that is so amazing. I didn't, have, didn't hear that word until my 20s. What I can say okay to do this? Oh, getting away from this idea that it's implied. I'm really in awe of that, mostly because I know how much emotional energy it takes to do that, to manage your own emotions. And you have students as well as kids to do that for. As a parent, you know, we're really afraid to do the wrong thing. And so the more I control, the less I feel like I'm going to be afraid. And I think the same thing is happening for an educator. I'm afraid of losing control because I don't know what it's going to look like. And so instead of working through and navigating what that may or may not be, it may be beautiful. That fear drives us and prevents us from giving away control. I love that so much, the, the holding on so tightly in the control thing and just releasing it. That really hits home, especially for this teenager that I was. I never want to be around these people who won't let me feel what I need to feel. I guess it was because they're so afraid of losing control. But lo and behold, I just wanted to be far away. The tighter they tried to hold, the, the further away I wanted to be. That's really interesting to think about, especially as a teacher. The tighter I hold, the further my students want to be from me, from the curriculum that I'm sharing. The experience that I'm creating, that's the opposite of what I hope any educator is pushing for, is to not push our kids away, but to draw them in. I want to be around people who actively choose me rather than have to reach out to them and text them and try to get their attention. 
I want them to look and see me authentically. There's nothing else better than talking to you because you really get me. And I appreciate you as a teacher. I appreciate you as a friend. I appreciate you as a mentor. I know that I can come to you. So there's no reason to hold tightly because they're just going to be drawn to you. I love that. And that actually really resonates with what we were talking about in the beginning for being friends in middle and high school. It really does have a lot to do with control. And if we give our students and our children the opportunity to understand by modeling, not controlling, then maybe they'll be nicer to each other as friends at that younger age because we're modeling releasing our own control. Coach Lee, thank you so much for this conversation. Well, thank you so much, Lorraine. I'm so glad to be here and meet such a superstar of a, a teacher and a person that you are sharing this message and being intentional about helping young people, especially the, the person who I was. I really thanks you from the bottom of my heart so much. <laughs> Tell me and the listeners how we can find you and connect with you. Yes, you can find me at PatternsOfPossibility.com. I'm a friendship coach. I help people make friendships. So you can find me on all social media at Patterns of Possibility, Facebook, Reddit, Instagram, TikTok. So Thank you so much for having me. A startling 90% of teenagers don't see themselves as leaders. Let that sink in. 90%. This prevents them from reaching their full potential. It negatively impacts their growth as an individual, and it creates high levels of anxiety and depression. It took me 47 years to understand my own value, and I know you don't want this to be the case with your child, your students, the people in your life, and I'd like to help make sure it isn't. If you want your children, your students, the people in your life to wake up every day knowing how to own their inner leader, and get comfortable breaking out of their shell to do amazing things in their life, have them join my upcoming webinar. You can find it at Peers Not Fears. In 30 minutes, those who attend are clear on their value as a leader. They are confident on how to lead from that place, and they are excited about what their next steps in life are. It's free to join this webinar. If you search Peers Not Fears, you will come across my Leadership Academy. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast Unimagined for all the amazing upcoming interviews that I have on the slate. The theme music for this podcast, Unimagined, was written and produced by another fellow educator, Keith McClendon.